0: that it took me an embarrassingly long number of years to realize that the best foods in the world weren't necessarily the ones that had the most fat or salt. It's too bad, isn't it? Pizza, shockingly enough, is not a food group. Neither are McDonald's chicken nuggets. And even though I definitely tried to argue with my parents for years and years that tortilla chips and salsa are healthy, because, I mean, come on, it's corn, it's, it, it's all the food groups. Nevertheless, it's not so. As I prepare, no doubt, for those good old doctor appointments here in my 40s, I'm sure they're going to tell me that all the more. No, instead, what I have noticed, shockingly to me, is that as I grow older, I have begun to like other foods. Foods that I quickly rejected as a child, that I thought my parents were crazy, Onions, really? I don't, I don't understand that, but I, I've started to enjoy it. And not only that, but carrots. Wow. Probably should have done that earlier. Maybe I wouldn't need glasses. A- and then wonder of wonders, I knew I had reached the pinnacle of adulthood when one day, yes, I enjoyed just straight up a tomato from the garden. Right? I, I felt like I had arrived finally. was kind of the sweetest, fattiest junk food into something that, you know, might actually sustain me uh, beyond about 15 or so. But that brings up a question. Just as I had to learn and grow in my physical diet, we have to learn and grow in our spiritual diet as well. And so, friends, what about you? What about yourself? Are you increasingly learning how to, how to value, how to uh, how to develop a taste for the things of God? Now, don't misunderstand. Uh, right here at the start, I, I want us to to get this right. What I'm going to say from these verses in Hebrews is not so much that we need to move past the gospel. We never do that never get over Jesus. Jesus is not just the the the, the doorway into Christianity and you pass through and that's it. No, instead what we're going to see here is that we move deeper into the gospel. We move deeper into Jesus Christ. And that's what maturity looks like. That's what developing a a, a spiritual appetite that's healthy This topic of maturity is what our author has in mind, as Noah so uh, so skillfully read for us. Brother, we're going to get you preaching one of these days. That's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that day. But if you're not there already yet, why don't you turn to the epistle to Hebrews, so the letter to the Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, if you're not quite sure where that's at, of course, there is a table of contents at the front of your Bible it, because I want you to not just hear from me this morning, but I want you to see and to savor God's words, to respond to what he has said, to see his truth, to let those lodge deep inside of you. So again, we'll be picking up in Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 11, and the first thing I want us to see are these two pictures, immaturity and maturity. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The topic which came right before this, to which verse 11 is referring, is one that requires patience. It requires some deeper thinking to begin to unpack. How is it that Jesus is our, reference before. Remember all these quotations. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Uh, Verse 10, speaking of Jesus, that he has been designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We'll, We'll get to recognizing something about the folks that he's writing to. And it's, hey, you know, there's a lot of riches there. There's a diamond mine, but we've got to address something before we can go down into the mine, and it's maturity. And that's what we're seeing here. How can Jesus be the Savior we need? What's more, how did Christ's suffering bring about our salvation? And all those things are going to be unpacked. Melchizedek, but of course the problem that we have even today is that I can say that really long name again and again and again, and yet a lot of us probably have no idea who Melchizedek is, what he has done, where does he even show up in the Bible, how do you even say his name? What's more then, we might be tempted to grow impatient with the book of Hebrews, because it seems like we're taking the, the, the long way around rather than just getting straight to the point. And if that's you this morning, I want to say that you're in good company with the recipients of this letter. This letter, especially these verses right before us, are written with you in mind. They are for you, for your growth. What do we know about these Hebrews? Well, apparently they were folks who had been taught about Jesus, but had become, in the words of the author here, Dull of hearing. Uh, some of your Bibles translate that Greek phrase as uh, spiritually dull, or, or or don't seem to listen, uh, or even one translation, because you no longer try to understand. The point is that the people being written to should have been growing in Jesus. Right? They 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 had all the the facts. They had their their you know their kind of mental folders and their Jim would say something about me. Wow, Rolodex. I don't know what the modern Rolodex is. They opened their file on their iPhone. How about that? That's better. Um, Filled with these truths about Jesus. They had been taught well, and yet their growth had become stunted. They had become satisfied with, to use my earlier example, fried chicken from the fast food place rather than the gourmet meal offered in Jesus Christ. What was the result then of this stunted growth? Well, verse 12 unpacks it. We read that these folks, they, they should have been teachers, right? They could have had great um, life-giving, joy-filled knowledge to pass on to others by this point, but because they had refused to continue growing, because they had... Uh, They, they stepped aside from the mission of, of being and making disciples. Well, ultimately, they had little to show for all that time that was passing. It was as if they needed to be taught the basics again, as if they needed to go back to grade school because they seemed to have never really learned, or at least not internalized, the fundamental things of the faith, right? Truths about our sin, God's rule. Christ's work on the cross and how we are called to joyfully respond and live in him. So this explains then the food example. These folks need milk, not solid food. While milk is the perfect food for an infant to grow, it isn't what an adult needs most. Uh, Solid food is uh, what's needed to sustain a growing body, a maturing body. And yet because of their immaturity, Solid food is exactly what these folks couldn't presently stomach. So I want you to notice the contrast then. Solid food is what the mature need. And how does one become mature? What does that look like then? Well, we read in verse 14 that those who are mature are folks who have practiced at their faith. They have gone on to the playing field of life and learned the things of the Lord. What the Lord says is, is, is true, is good. What leads to life, what's, what's worth celebrating from the imitations of our world. The things that the world offers up and says, oh, this will satisfy. you know, Until the next new whiz-bang thing comes along. Then it's, oh, no, that was no good, but this will satisfy. from this challenge, we need to make sure we're getting the point. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you should want to mature in your faith. That is a, it's not just a good desire, but that is part of what it means to be a disciple in Jesus is this idea of we continue to grow in him. We don't just rest on our morals. If you're a teacher or other jobs, you're familiar with the idea of continuing ed, right? You have to take continuing education classes. And, okay, well, in the in the best way, I don't mean in the busy work way, but in the best way, that's what it is to keep growing in Jesus. You will never exhaust Him. You will never um, get through God's Word and be like, "Yep, I got that. Don't need it anymore. What's next?" Oh, the riches are always deeper. The mind. not by believing in something different from the basics of the gospel. Jesus never changes. But instead, it's to grow deeper in your understanding and in your belief of the gospel. You know, what's amazing to me, if you've ever read a, a really good poet, they're not using tools any different than my children learned were in kindergarten. Right? It's the same letters. It's the same ABC. The poet's using the same tool. Not a different tool, but the same tool but more deeply, more skillfully. That's what we're after here in the Christian life. Maturity is not only knowing, for example, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. knowing from your own life experience why you need that savior. It's also knowing how he has saved you from those sins that John 3.16 points to. It's it's knowing how this Jesus who has come to rescue you saves you from yourself. This is maturity. And it's not something different, but it's something further. It's The long obedience after Jesus. It's pursuing him. And so we start then with this question, are you pursuing maturity in Jesus? What's that looking like in your life? Now here in Hebrews, the danger that the author wants to wake the people up to is that they're not. They're not pursuing Jesus any longer. It's not so much that they've, they've turned aside from him entirely, but it's more they've just decided, yeah, I've got enough. I'm okay. You know, I, I, I checked that box way long ago. I, I walked an aisle or whatever else, and, and now I'm saved. And, okay, now I'll just sort of go about my own life, and I'll drift spiritually. But if that's the case, and that's true not just of Hebrews way long ago, but that's true even today, If that's the case for any of us, then we're in great danger. And that danger begins to be unpacked, starting in chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Some of you are really concerned with this passage, and if so, I want you to keep your eyes on the text remember that we have a few verses after this. And I think seeing all of that together is our author's point. But for now, we need to see the dangers of immaturity. It's as if the author is writing, you know, you're you're immature now, but you don't have to stay that way. In fact, don't stay that way. Keep tracking with me. Let's move forward together. Because each of the aspects that he mentions in these verses are they're foundational to the Christian faith. But they're also not meant to be the end of the faith. To return to my example earlier, John 3:16 most definitely is the truth of the gospel. It is. It's a wonderful summary. It's one of many throughout the scriptures. It's the truth that every Christian. It's not as if our Bible only contains John 3.16, for example, as if it's the only verse or the only thing that matters. It isn't so. And we need to see that in the point being made here by the author of the Hebrews. The the foundation matters, yes. You get that wrong, everything is. don't skip over the warning in verse 4, because it tells us of something that we all too often forget. Immaturity isn't just a case of wishing that someone would grow up. It's not harmless. Sometimes we speak of it that way in our culture. We, We equate immaturity with just kind of, oh, Because eventually, immaturity turns into something that is positively dangerous. Uh, a child who remains immature sets themselves up for a life of misery, and of conflict, and of problems of every kind. It's no different when it comes to the Christian faith. If you or I remain willfully immature, if that's what we are seeking after, if that's where we hit spiritual life, well, then it starts to make you numb to the idea of ever growing in Christ, which is the danger that's being highlighted here. And the result of that is to lose sight of the faith entirely. Follow the logic, verses 4 through 6. A person has been enlightened. They have had the blessing of hearing the gospel. Perhaps they've even seemed to respond, at least on a, on an external, on a, on a surface level. They enjoy some of the fruits of the church and of Christian fellowship. They've seen that God's word can truly encourage, can can genuinely build up. But what happens if right there on the cusp of everything, it's just cut off? What happens if someone stops growing right there? If the person is content to just sit and soak, as it were? of whatever faith they had don't blossom. It, it's a bit like Christ's parable of the soils. They become like that seed that appeared to grow at first and yet never developed roots. And therefore it doesn't endure. A few months ago, the city decided in their wonderful wisdom to tear up part of the right-of-way in front of my house. Um, there might be a reason for that. I suppose the broken water may. So they, uh, man, they dug a huge hole uh, right there in front of my house. Um, so much so that they had to stabilize the utility pole that was right next to it; otherwise, it would fall over. That gave us a lot of confidence every morning. And eventually, they did fix this pipe. Thankfully, um, they did you know cover it all back up. Everything fine. And they went and they they spread grass seed over this. started growing. There was this nice green carpet. It was the nicest grass in all of my lawn, actually. It was really great. And Melanie's out there watering it. No, oh, we're just, oh, isn't this wonderful? Until you might remember about, what was it, maybe two-ish months ago or so, we had another really hot week. And then suddenly, all that new grass just started to wither and to die. It didn't matter how much we watered it. It just wasn't getting through. Why was that? fill my hole. It was not my own soil. It's this rocky clay kind of stuff. And it made it very hard for that new grass to have any roots that would actually go down and, and develop and sustain that grass through the hard times. Right? It's very hard to get roots to develop in that sort of way. And that leads to the example that our author. produces the expected crop, is it's, it's worthless to the farmer. I mean, if the farmer's fertilizing and putting out the, the herbicides and the pesticides and doing all he can, and yet it's still not growing, then it, all that effort doesn't really matter. It's wasted effort, actually. In fact, it's worthless to a farmer. In that case, the example here is slash and burn agriculture. Uh, they're going to burn over the field and comes from a little bit of religion that never actually rests in Jesus. It comes when there's just a few faithful actions that are more based on being a good person and not really turning into a response to what Christ has done. That same sort of danger is why so many um, in our country and in others like ours claim to be Christian. And then when you ask them, well, what's that mean? nothing about Jesus, but instead it's, well, I'm a good person, I give to charity, I do community service, all good things. But none of those things actually save. That's the danger of immaturity As we become satisfied, not so much with the wrong truths, but with the right truths for the wrong reasons. We don't grow anymore. We don't seek to understand what Jesus has really done and how that really flows into our is so deadly. That's why there's this warning here. And that's why we must combat it at every turn. Immaturity in the faith is a willful desire to not grow in Jesus. So children, students, men, women, parents, grandparents, your orders are pretty simple. Seek to grow. And when Jesus called them, called the disciples to follow him, it wasn't follow me here for this sermon and then go do your thing. We bid them to come and die. When he gives the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, the Great Commission is not, well, just go and inform a few people and then you've done your duty and you can go back to the plow or bacon bread or whatever you do. No. It's to win and train and send. It's to build up and to explain and to example and to show these people not only what is true, but how they follow as disciples. It's to be a disciple who makes disciples. Those are our marching orders here today. Don't be content with your faith being where it is today. Instead, look for more grace. Go further in Jesus. He is inexhaustible. Cut you off. He's not going to be, mm, yeah. You know, you haven't quite earned these blessings. No. In Christ, there is always more because He gives us Himself. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to be saved by Jesus, God's Son. What then does it look like to to grow in this maturity? What does it look like to to listen to this warning? And, and think, okay, I don't want that to be true of me. Instead, I want to live faithfully. Okay, what does that want to look like? I think we see that here in verses 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. What are the marching orders? Well, it's to imitate. It's to pattern your life after faithful examples. Uh, notice the, the thinking in verses 9 and 10. There is grave danger to immaturity, but that doesn't mean it's a foregone conclusion. Right, this is why I said earlier, sometimes I think we get to the warning passages in Hebrews, you know, these ones that sound really dire, because they are, and we get all wrapped up and well, what does this mean for, 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 for this doctrine or this idea of theology, and Almost always in the scriptures. The solution is keep reading. Keep reading. The author of Hebrews indicates that he believes his readers have a different destiny. His point isn't, well, you're immature and you blew it, and there's no hope. His point instead is, hey, I'm going to give you this warning. with examples like this. Instead, we get the idea, or at least we're told the idea, that it's the world that's forgiving. It's the world that that helps people to flourish. Nothing could be further from the truth. Take whatever cultural hot-button issue you want right now, and one thing I've noticed is that if you're on the wrong side of it, you are cursed by our culture. You are canceled. You are blocked. You are disinvited. You are seen as a threat. Supposedly tolerant culture is nothing of the sort. What good news then that the God of the universe doesn't look at sinners and say, you blew it, I can't believe you haven't always had this right. No. Instead, the God of the universe inspired the author to write, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, I love this, beloved, We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. That's what we're after. That's what we're we're given in Jesus Christ. And that's what the author believes the first readers of Hebrews are are going to have. Because they're going to hear these warnings. They're going to say, to him, I will pursue him, I will follow after him, I will look for ways to grow and that's the same way that we need to respond also so how do you and I continue growing in Jesus, how do we mature in the Christian faith look at verse 11 seek to have robust Trusting not in a um, not just in a one-time uh, coming-to-Jesus sense. That's where it starts. But don't let that be where it ends either. I mean trusting in that continuous, in that that active, that constant sense. Trusting Jesus for whatever's coming today. Trusting uh, what you're reading in his word, even when you're not quite sure what to make of all of it. Trusting his guidance, even when somewhere where you're afraid to go, somewhere where you're not in control. And when you seek to grow in this, you grow in your hope in Christ. Hope for his return. Hope for how he will complete the work that he has begun, the work of making you new. That's the first point. Seek to have robust, Here's the second and the final one. You find it in verse 12. We grow in maturity when we reject sluggishness. I like that word. You grow in maturity when you put aside spiritual laziness and instead imitate those who are receiving God's promises. Now, the reason that I that I like this sluggish. Word is because that's the exact same word that was used earlier in Hebrews. This word sluggish appeared in chapter 4, verse 11 to describe the state of the readers of this letter. And so now we have gone from here's where you're at to verse 12 so that you may not stay there. You don't have to remain there. This isn't some pit that you're stuck in Never get out of no. Instead, it's so that you may not be sluggish, but instead imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. You don't have to be lazy in the faith. Instead, you can move past immaturity. Will you? Will you grow in Christ, dear church? We. we worship the Lord side by side, as we lift our voices, as we encourage one another in our conversations, as we pray for each other, as we open the word together, it's because we are on a journey together to try to grow in Christ. And that's not a try in the sense of, well. Maybe some of you, this is um, maybe this is new news for you. Uh, maybe just the way that you were taught, the way that you uh, heard about the church, or, or if you're a Christian, the way you came to Christ. Maybe you thought that it, it really was just kind of the okay, I just I just trust Jesus the one time, and now I go live my life, and I've got my eternal insurance. And if so, I realize this is a big challenge. verses isn't to discourage you, but it's to say, no, you can grow in Christ. His grace, his mercy, it is deeper yet. It is more for you than you can imagine. And the life that he is calling you to, not just in eternity, but even in your days here, is of greater significance than you or I can even define. And It's worth pursuing Jesus. Still others of you, maybe because of your temperament, of your life, you feel like spiritual failures. You have tried to pursue Jesus, and yet it never seems to produce much fruit. Um, perhaps you're discouraged when you come to read the scriptures. You you, you feel like your Christianity is, yeah, you're, you're there, you're present, but you're just sort of showing up. You're just checking the attendance box. And if so, one of the things that you need to, to realize out of here is that this maturity is it feels dry now, just because in the moment you're not sure how to how to live faithfully, and, and what's next with trusting Jesus, that doesn't mean that everything is hopeless or in vain. It's part, again, of why you have the church. Many, many years ago, when I was a lot I decided to do this crazy thing where I would go hike um, around downtown Omaha with a a rucksack uh, with about 35 pounds of bricks in the bag. And I would have the joy of having retired Army Special Forces soldiers yell at me and tell me to go do this, pick up things, work hard. I don't know why. I think wisdom comes. I'm, it comes later in life. <laughs> Nevertheless, I did it. But uh, one of the enduring lessons that came out of that challenge, uh, one of the things that they taught us is, is they said, "We want you to see now. You know, after you've gone all these miles, after you have carried not only your path. they could come up with. Uh, One group carried a railroad tie around. That was not us, thankfully. Um, One of the things they said, though, is if you had had to do this on your own, you would have quit hours ago. And I thought that's true. And they said, and there's another truth also, part of the reason you didn't quit is because even when you got to that dark spot during this day, when you thought, can't go another step. How am I going to do this? Your teammates around you said, hey brother, hey sister, there were some gals who were tough. Here, let me take your pack. Let me hold up your end of of the log. Let me hold your big jerry can filled with water. I will help you. Let's just keep going. Just don't quit. And that was one of the lessons that stuck with me that's also true of the Christian life. So often, world, we think that maturity is all up to us. You know, if we think of it at all, we think, okay, I've got to do all these practices and have my checklists and my to-do list, and if I do... And you know what? Usually you end up failing. And the reason why is because God didn't make us an island of ourselves, but instead he has made us for community. He has called us into the church, into a place where when you walk in those doors, maybe this was you today, whatever has happened this week or perhaps you're afraid to leave this place because you know what you're going home to or what awaits you at your job on Monday morning and you don't want to face it that you can instead turn to a brother or sister here and say hey I just need someone to listen for a minute can you pray for me you don't have to do this alone part of maturity is looking around see someone who's who's maybe just kind of sitting here in the pews, I don't know, maybe the Lord's prompting you, hey, let's just go say something, do so. Because I think ultimately what will happen is we'll start seeing this body knit together in all kinds of ways so that as we pursue Jesus, as we seek to grow ourselves, as we seek to be a light to this tri-state area to show how Christ offers hope that will not be found mission, that's our calling. Let's pray that the Lord would make that true in us. and the Pharisees who might as well have given up. Instead, Lord, what you call us to is to imitate faithful examples. to see your word and the pattern of life that it calls us to, to see even the living examples of people around us young and old, who imperfectly yes, but why you place us in churches. This is why you call us to maturity. And so our prayer as as Firsty Free is that you would grow us, that you would grow us not in any way different from Jesus, but instead grow us into Jesus, grow us with our Savior, grow us to anticipate and wait and wait. closer together as a